Let's begin with prayer this morning. Let me tell you too before we pray. I want to pray for a church in Corpus. Um, some of y'all, if you keep up with the news, you heard about the church that's giving away $2 million worth of stuff this morning to get people in the door, including Audis and BMWs. And I got bad news for you. We don't have any of those things here this morning. Um, <laughs> Jeff Ott said that he would give his Land Cruiser away if we really, <laughs> really pressed him for it. Um, but we want to pray for another church. You know, we can run down other churches or we can pray for them. And um, I, think that, I think it warrants um, prayer. Uh, Bill Cornel- Cornelius is the pastor's name. And um, I have some difficult, difficult issues with it. It's sort of like uh, luring or wanting to treat a drug addict with crystal meth. And, um, but God can even use something like that crazy enough. So let's, let's pray that, um, that the gospel will be shared and that uh, people will walk away with the greatest treasure of all, greater than an Audi, um, is Christ as their Savior and Lord. So let's pray for them. <clears throat> Lord, in these next few minutes, um, I want to just lift up this time of worship. But before we do specifically, I want to pray for church in Corpus. I want to pray for Bay Area Fellowship and Bill Cornelius. Lord, I want to pray for Bill's worship. I want to pray that he is uh, being overwhelmed and wrecked and disassembled and rebuilt by his journey through the Word. Lord, I pray that he is um, using the Word, really being um, run through by the Word, and that it is becoming really more fuel to him than tool. And I pray that that is invading his marriage, invading his um, parenting, um, invading his pastoral ministry, and invading the pulpit. Lord, this time that they are gathering, uh, maybe even at these next few moments, that they're gathering in corpus, all sorts of people likely coming with all sorts of motives. Uh, We pray that you'll be enjoyed most of all. We pray that you can get, well, we already know you can. We pray that you will get past um, the material lure and expose the riches of the gospel so that some may be saved. Uh, Lord, I um, don't really know how else to pray about that. I just want you to be glorified and enjoyed. I want your name to be famous at Bay Area Fellowship this morning. Lord, in regards to this people that are gathered this morning, we pray for a time of real engagement. Lord, I pray that you will guard us from um, kind of the sensational and just give a quiet, give us a quiet peace with just the exposition of your word simply, with no um, light shows or smoke machines, just a satisfaction that the word is enough. And I pray that you'll be enjoyed. Lord, uh, this morning we're thankful for what's brought us together, a, uh, a bloody cross and a vacant tomb and a very seated Lord that's at your right hand. We enjoy him. We enjoy that picture of him seated with this work absolutely and completely for all time finished. And it's in that finished work that we strive this morning. We turn this time over to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read our passage this morning. We're in John chapter 15. I'm not, you know, 
I have really, Christy, Christy said, you do this to yourself every year. I'm just not a theme preacher. I just can't do it. Um, I, I don't see how this Sunday would be unique in us preaching Christ crucified and risen because we do that every Sunday. So we're just going to continue on in John chapter 15, um, dealing with really in the hours before Christ went to the cross. Sort of the truth concentrate that he shares with his disciples, with the 11, in many ways, the purified church. So in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning, really, is kind of unpacking those three passages, focusing primarily on verse 2 and verse 3 with other scripture. If if you wonder what really the, the most reliable, most effective tool for unpacking the Word is, it's with other Word, other Scriptures. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to climb into this setting where Jesus, in His final hours before He goes to the cross, He may have been in the Garden of Gethsemane. He may have been on His way up the Mount of Olives with the disciples. It's pretty steep. It's hard to believe you could have a conversation that anybody would remember it. But this is somewhere after the Lord's Supper in the upper room and somewhere before the arrest. So this is in these anguish-filled hours before he goes to the cross where you could imagine he's really sharing the cream with his disciples. They've walked with him for three years and he's sitting down maybe under the dusk underneath an olive tree and teaching them on the, really the concentrate of the gospel. The setting that he's sharing here, at least the, the imagery, the metaphor that he's sharing is the metaphor of a vineyard. Where the father is the vine dresser, or the gardener, where Christ is the vine, and where those who are in Christ are not in Christ, <laughs> are branches. He's contrasting branches that bear fruit and branches that don't. And the branches that don't bear fruit we've talked about in these last few weeks, the apostate, difficult issue, seldom dealt with, we needed to engage. And then this week, we're going to talk about what he does with the abider. He's contrasting the apostate with the abider. And this morning, he shows us the picture that the apostate is cut away and the abider is cut also, but cut for a purpose. And that purpose is the work of pruning. I have a really exciting, illuminating video that I want to share with you to kind of get us going. And it's really exciting, so just see if you can handle these next few minutes. It'll be short. If we can pull that up. Yes. Pruning is needed when first planting a tree to control its growth and to help develop its shape. Pruning can help spur growth in foliage, fruit, and flowers, as well as remove diseased and damaged areas. Late winter and early spring offer good tree and shrub pruning opportunities because it's far easier to see the shape of the tree and the branch patterns without the foliage. The season you are in will affect the types of pruning you should do. Study the shape of the tree as it is now, and then decide how you would like it to look. 
Determine the cuts you need to make, then choose the right tools for the job. Finally, make the proper cuts that will result in a healthy and aesthetically pleasing tree. Take your time, as all cuts are final. Spring is a great time to prune for overall shape. While summer pruning should be limited to light pruning to force new growth, fall pruning should be limited to clearing away dead areas. Because of dormancy, winter pruning is the best time to prune deciduous trees. Before you start pruning, take time and study the shape of the tree from many views. There are five things to look for. One, broken branches. Two, low limbs. Three, branches that cross. Four, branches shooting up too close to the main trunk. And five, crowded limbs. Regardless of the tool you choose, it is very important that the blade remains sharp so that all cuts are smooth and not jagged. Hand saws are used on larger limbs, two-handed shears on branches up to two inches in diameter, and one-handed shears on branches up to one-half inch. Extended reach pruners will help you cut the out-of-reach areas. Avoid accidents by never standing directly under the cutting area. It can only get better from there. I told the guys that were leading worship this morning, I said, man, I have a mess of an intro and the lamest video that you've ever seen, but the video will come back around. I, I just want to share with you a little bit about pruning, which is where, what we're talking about this morning. Um, Christy has introduced me to the uh, topic of pruning in a couple different ways. We have a couple of trees in front of our house on the kind of the edges. Um, that are crepe myrtles. If some of you have crepe myrtles, you know that you have to cut those things back. You have to prune those things back once a year. And um, in the course of doing that, I've learned something about pruning is the more that you prune them, the more beautiful they are. And the hard thing is you're actually cutting on something that is beautiful as it sits. And you're turning it into a naked, ugly, little cut up tree. And that God's going to do something with that and grow that into a beautiful crepe myrtle the next year. I've also learned about it some through this little tree right here. This is, this is a, a little bonsai tea tree that was given. Christy and the kids gave this to me at, at Father's Day last year. And I do not have a green thumb. And this thing has been the hardest little thing I've ever dealt with. Every single day I'm hovering over it and snipping here or snipping there. But I've had to learn about pruning. It actually has leaves on it right now, which is kind of new. <laughs> the thing has looked really bad. I mean, it's amazing that it's alive, but... Some of the reason that it has leaves right now is because it's been pruned and it's been snipped with these little pruning shears. So I've, it, in, in preparing for John chapter 15, it's funny that the Lord has prepared me in a lot of ways through just daily things like cutting back the crepe myrtles and tending to the little tree that Christy and the kids gave me for Father's Day. I've learned a lot about pruning and as I look at John chapter 15, I see that God is cutting away good branches with leaves and fruit for a purpose. It's cutting away good branches with leaves and fruit so that they may even bear more fruit. John chapter 15 shows us the picture of a God as an attentive vine dresser that's examining the shape of the vine. It's examining how can I and where can I produce more fruit and what needs to be cut when and where and how. Discerning the fruit-bearing branches from those just drawing nourishment. 
I learned about something else that's kind of funny. Whenever you're pruning trees, you want to look for suckers. Suckers are these little, little branches that come in right in the crook of a, between the trunk and a tree. And the sucker just sits here and it never really bears fruit. It just draws nourishment. And you can just go wherever you want to go with that in the church. What the sucker might look like, but some people might remember the time where we considered the tick. So much imagery in that. We see God cutting away the non-producing, and we see him produce or pruning the producing branches. Today, I want us to consider two ways that he prunes the abider. First way is through trial. Turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at two passages in Romans and two passages in 1 Peter. So if you want to kind of put a finger in those passages. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> One of the things I enjoyed about this video was the simplicity of it, but also the imagery of it. And I don't know if you remember the cutters where it showed the little crystallized ding showing how sharp that thing was. Some of y'all know that blade. I think most of us know that blade and that pain of the sharp work of pruning. And it might be a loss of a loved one. I know some of your stories lost a son, lost a brother, lost a friend. Many of us lost a friend in Keith McCord. That pain of loss, that pain of sickness, the pain of persecution, the difficult and painful cut of the loss of a job, the painful and difficult cut of a spouse that may have walked out on you, which has happened in this body. The pain and difficult cut of the consequences of someone else's sin, where it wasn't even your fault, but yet you're cut and hurt by someone else's sin. You know that little ding on those clippers, and you know how sharp that knife can be. And you've got to realize it in the life of the believer that God is up to something. It might be through the saw. It might be through the two-handed shears. And in some cases, it's through the extended reach shears that God will get to you and he will cut the abider. But the beauty for the life of the believer, it is by design. It's not meaningless pain. In the life of the believer, trial, tribulation, and difficulty are effectively God's sweet gift of pruning that yields a whole new fruit in your life that you wouldn't have yielded otherwise. That pain and that cutting is dealt by a good God with a plan for his glory in and through you. I fear that this is frightfully underdeveloped in the contemporary church. Y'all have to know whether it's in the life of your family or if it's in relationships with other friends that are examining the faith, you have got to know that we have got to share the story that the pain continues. The rain falls on the just and the unjust and it keeps falling on the just. Unfortunately, there's sort of this unspoken message that implies that once you follow Christ, things are just going to go your way. And you know, the reality is the cutting may in fact, and the pain may in fact intensify. But thankfully, the yoke and the burden is light because he helps us carry it. 
tribulation and, and the suffering don't end. In fact, they may become more intense. But at least for the life, in the life of the believer, this pain and this cutting and this pruning has meaning. At least in the life of the believer, it yields a product. Let me show you some examples. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. I'll just begin in verse 1 for the sake of context, but we're going to focus more in verse 3 through, through uh, 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our prunings. That doesn't say that. It says sufferings. We could insert prunings and cuttings. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings because we believers, the abiders, know that that suffering and that pruning and that cutting produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The first thing that y'all should know this morning about pruning in the life of the abider is that it's by design and that it yields fruit. And in this case, the fruit of pruning and slash suffering and cutting is endurance, which yields character, which yields hope. And as a result of that, there's no shame. And ironically, it's through those sufferings that God's love is poured into our heart. The careful vine dresser tends to the vine, his son, and he tends to those in the vine with the painful but productive work of pruning. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Watch. Provided we suffer. I mean, you could just insert in there. Provided we're pruned. Provided we're cut with Him in order that we may also also be glorified in Him. Pruning through suffering is so essential to the abider that Paul here shows that your inheritance as a believer in many ways is fruit of being pruned, cut, suffering with Christ. It's as characteristic to the believer as wool is to the sheep. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. probably four years ago that Ron Perone, one of our elders at that time, who's now part of our, our church plan in commerce, preached this passage from 1 Peter. And it's one that the Lord has brought to my mind a hundred times since then. The sweet picture is that it came from a guy that may have at that point preached twice. It came from a guy who would tell you that he's not like Mr. Eloquent. That he's not Mr. Experienced, but yet God used him to expose a passage that's ministered to me a hundred times in a hundred different ways. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various 
prunings. You've been grieved by various trials, various cuttings, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, jump down to the beyond the slash, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you take that little section out there that's offset with that slash, then the flow of this passage reads a lot better and it's got to arrest you. In this, believers, you rejoice. Those who've been cut, those who've been pruned, those who have bled, those who have suffered. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by these various cuttings so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found, watch, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The crazy scandal of this passage is that it's through your suffering that Christ is revealed. That's some sweet fruit right there. That ought to be the kind of fruit that every single one of us want to happen. Want to happen. Maybe even if it's through our life. Lord, if it's through my cutting that you're going to produce the fruit of revealing your son and that praise and glory and honor is going to result from that, then by all means, cut away. Prune away. If that's what it takes, then bring it. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, you could say, fellow abiders, do not be surprised at the fiery pruning. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you're being pruned insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted, a.k.a. pruned, for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Jump to verse 19. Let those who suffer or are pruned or are cut according to God's will, that sweet, awesome vine dresser, entrust their souls to a faithful vine dresser while doing good. You see that? Connect passages here that add a whole new meaning to understanding this. The Christians should not be surprised when suffering happens. Suffer, suffering is imminent. It's part of abiding. And it happens either by God's hand or by God's allowance, but it's for design. It's not meaningless suffering. And don't be surprised. The thing that struck me as I was considering John chapter 15 is this picture that it's the, the branch that bears fruit that he cuts. He cuts the one that doesn't bear fruit, and it goes into a pile and is burned. But he also cuts the branch that's bearing fruit. And there's something in us that says, God, I'm being faithful. I'm I'm walking with you. I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm part of God's people. I'm engaging God's word. Why is this thing happening to me? And Peter here is saying, don't be surprised. As if something strange is happening to you. He's pruning you so you'll bear more fruit. It's by his sweet design. It's in seeing things like this that the people of God can indeed count it all joy when you encounter various trials because you realize that the vine dresser is just doing his sweet work. 
He's producing more fruit in and through you. You see things like this and you can count it all joy because you realize that there's a good God carefully tending and shaping the vine and the branches so that he can be glorified all the more. The affliction, the trial, the tribulation, the death, the sickness, the persecution, the loss of a job, a spouse who's walked out on you, the consequence of someone else's sin, all those things are in your life if you're his for a purpose. He's up to something. He's up to endurance. He's up to character. He's up to hope. He's up to an inheritance. He's up to the revelation of his own son in and through your suffering. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is something I've really been living in this last week. It's an amazing psalm. I'll share with you a little bit of introduction before I show you really a key passage to unlocking this pruning. Psalm 119, if you've ever spent any time there, you know that first of all it's long and that it's about the Word of God. And you also know that it has these little sections with a weird word at the beginning of each of the sections. Let me tell you what those little weird words are. Look at Psalm 119. The first little word is Aleph. The next one down the page a little bit is Bait. Then Gimel, Dalit, Hay, Vav, Zion, Haith, Taith, Kaf, Lamech, Maim, Noon, Samach, Ayan, Pei, Sade, Kof, Resh, Sin, Shain, Tav. Those are the Hebrew alphabet. This psalmist loved God's word so much that he sat down with the Hebrew alphabet and said, I'm going to write a psalm using the Hebrew alphabet as a guide. It would be like somebody that you knew writing a song about God's word. God's word is available. It's accurate. It's alive. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's believable. It's big. It's bold. It's contagious. It's complete. It's clear. It's difficult. It's different from any other book. It's delightful. Can you imagine someone taking the time? That took me about five minutes. I know it wasn't very impressive. Imagine someone taking the time to not just write a few statements that happen to have a similar first letter, but writing a whole paragraph using each letter of the alphabet. This psalmist loved God's word. Here's some samples of some things that he says about it. In verse 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This dude is consumed with God's word. Commandments, statutes, rules, testimonies, precepts. And he delights in them. Verse 24, he says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, I find my delight 
in your commandments. Verse 70, I delight in your law. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. I read that and I thought, can I say that? If someone said, give me your Bible and I will give you thousands of gold pieces, would I give up my Bible? Is God's word that cherished to me? This guy loved God's word. Verse 77, your law is my delight. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. This psalmist loved God's word. Now let me show you something that really unlocks what does this have to do with pruning. Look at verse 67. The psalmist, this guy that is so captivated with God's word, says, Before I was afflicted, here pruned, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I had no use for this. Affliction, he says, was the escort. Pruning was the escort to this. It's not in isolation, he says it too, in verse 71. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It is good for me that someone in my close family died. It's good for me that I lost my job. It's good for me that I got sick. It's good for me that I was persecuted. It's good for me that my spouse walked out on me. It's good for me that someone else's sin had grave consequences for me, that I might learn your statutes. Do you see the beauty of that? The pruning of affliction sends him headlong into God's word. Verse 92, he says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in the death of my son. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in blindness, in diabetes, in cancer. I would have been toasted by it. But your law is what sustained me. He also shows it in in the same Psalm, verse 143. Trouble and anguish, here cutting, here pruning, here affliction, have found me out. But your commandments are my delight. For the psalmist, the love for God's word comes from affliction. If you're an abider, it serves as a pruning that bears more fruit. And that fruit actually is enjoying God's word more, engaging God's word more. The psalmist was pruned and it sent him to God's statutes, God's law, God's testimonies, God's precepts, God's commandments, God's rules. Pruning was the foyer to the mansion of God's word. Affliction and pain and suffering led him to places like this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. A.W. Pink says of affliction, he says affliction is a means to the end of the soul's subjection and obedience to the word. Affliction in and of itself is a pruning. And it's a pruning that takes you to the sweet fruit of engaging God's word. 
That's the first type of pruning. And it's connected to the second type of pruning. And it's going to surprise you how. Go back to John chapter 15. I want you to see this. If you've read John chapter 15, the first couple of verses, or if you were paying attention a few minutes ago, then you're probably like I was before I really studied the original language, where I'm going, man, verse 3 is just sort of weird. Listen to it. It says, Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, i.e., the apostate. Every branch that does bear fruit, that's the abider, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now listen to verse 3. Already you 11 are clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Where did that come from? What does cleaning have to do with pruning? What you need to know is in the original language, this word for clean is the exact same word, except it's an adjective form of pruning. Why the translators didn't translate it this way, already you are pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you, I don't know. But it could be. You could either translate verse 2 and 3 three this way. You could say, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you. Or, it could say, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he cleans that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. I don't know why those don't agree with each other in English language. But in the Greek, it's the same word. One's a verb, one's an adjective. And you may not think that really has any meaning, but I'm going to tell you what, that just unlocks the gravity of God's word because I want you to see what he's saying here. He's talking to men who, are, who have some severe prunings in store at the hands of evil men. Some severe prunings in store, severe trials, severe tribulations, suffering in store. In fact, he mentions it just a few minutes later. In verse 19, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Y'all going to have some serious prunings yet. Remember the word that I said to you, 11. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. He's promising the apostles that they've got some pain and prunings in store. But he's speaking to men who go through, while they're going through some terrible things. Here's some of them. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew crucified in a spread eagle position. I find that's why the flag of Scotland has the St. Andrew's cross on it. And why it's a cross. Because that's the way he was crucified. James was beheaded. Philip was hanged at Heropolis. Bartholomew was skinned alive and beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, was martyred in Egypt. They think he was thrown off the pinnacle of a, of a, of a temple. Simon and Jude were martyred in Persia. And they believe that Simon may have been hacked to death. There's some serious cutting and some serious pain in store. But here he says to these men with all those things in store, he says... While you have these terrible prunings in store, you abide and bear fruit. He says, you have already been pruned by the word I've spoken to you. I don't know if that hits you like it hit me. In in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of my flesh, in the eyes of what really hurts, I'm going, ah, skinned alive, ouch. 
Persecution of friends and family. Ouch! And then I'm going, the word of God? Ah, not so ouch. But here he's saying to them, you guys have already been pruned by the word that I spoke to you. He's talking about the pruning in the life of the abider, and he's engaging his word as the instrument that prunes them. Think about some of the things that happened to the apostles. They're astonished by the Sermon on the Mount, where he raises the bar above the Ten Commandments. They are confused and undone by the parables. And if you engage them in contact, they are shocking in context. They are shocked by his teaching on marriage. In fact, they turn to each other and like, why would anybody get married? He's talking about the gravity of divorce or God's view on divorce. And they turn to each other, well, why would anybody take the risk? They're convicted by rebukes like, get thee behind me, Satan. They're convicted by rebukes like, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. They're stunned by his teaching on the cost of discipleship where you have to bear a cross. Where you have to hate father, mother, brother, and sister compared to your desperate all-out love for him. Where you let the dead bury the dead. And they're ashamed by his request. Give me a donkey's colt for the triumphal entry. I want to show them what sort of Savior that I am. They're ashamed by words like this. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It says you've already been pruned by the word I've spoken to you. The thing we've got to realize is the word rightly handled becomes the pruning work of God. The word rightly handled is the pruning work in the life of the abider. When someone says, man, that sermon was painful, what they're usually meaning is homeboy had no plan. He meandered. It was long and boring, and it didn't engage anybody. He had no unction. He had no ethos, no pathos, and it was like, man, when's this thing going to be over? That's what they mean when they say it's painful. Don't go to that church. Those sermons are painful. We ought to say that about God's Word, about sermons and about teaching and preaching, but not because it's boring, but because it undoes us. Because it leaves us astonished, confused, undone, shocked, convicted, stunned, ashamed. The beauty is it never leaves us there, though. But it will take us there if it's rightly handled. It says, you're already pruned because of the Word which I've spoken to you. Has a message or a series of messages ever left you hurting? I used to wrestle with that. Thinking, man, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to leave astonished or confused or undone or shocked or convicted or stunned or ashamed. But I've grown more and more comfortable with that realizing that's what God's Word does. It's a pruning, cutting painful work in the life of the abider shouldn't the exposition of God's word leave us cut shouldn't it leave us pruned to bear more fruit all these terrible things in store for the apostles the disciples and Jesus says you're already pruned 
because of the word which I spoke to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Two more passages I want you to look at. I'm going to read these passages now with a new set of eyes that have been informed by John chapter 15. Let's read these passages that might be familiar to you, but now with a new set of eyes. Verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever left a sermon or a series of sermons feeling cut? Then good, the Word did its work. Word of God is sharp. It's piercing. And it's discerning. And look at verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. I'm looking at words like piercing, like sharp, like discerning, like naked and exposed. And I'm going, oh yeah, that's how I feel preaching week by week. Oh, yeah, that's what I see in the life of shepherds in this body, where they're just feeling wrecked. They're feeling exposed. They're often feeling humiliated. God's Word is the most penetrating thing I know of. And those who are submitted to it, who submit to going under the knife, you know the sweet agony of it. That's what I'd call it. Sweet agony. Pruning makes the plant look worse before it looks better. It looks bare. It looks naked. Like a crepe myrtle cut back. But it's God's sweet work of growing and bearing more fruit. Those who are not submitting to the knife of the word, you've got no cut. If you're bearing fruit right now, it's all you'll ever bear. You've got no cut. You've got nothing discerning your thoughts and intentions of your heart. And if you're thinking right now, man, I know what you're saying, but it's just so hard. Look at verse 11. It's right in front of this familiar passage. Verse 11 of Hebrews 5 or Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's in the same paragraph in the ESV, and it should be. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest that Christ has achieved through the finished work of the cross. Let us strive to enter an already finished work. And guess how you strive to enter that rest? You abide in that word. It's work. It's work to engage the word in this way. It's work to be undone week by week and then be rebuilt. It's easier to just leave it alone. Stay away from that thing. That book is dangerous. That thing cuts me. You bet it does. And you need it. That's how you bear more fruit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Last verse I want to show you on this second work of 
pruning. Ephesians chapter 5. A section where Paul is instructing husbands and wives on how they are to worship together. It's the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and the wife submitting to the husband. In verse 25 says, Husband, loves your wife, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. The husband might sanctify the wife. Having cleansed the wife by the washing of water with the word. He's not just talking about the role and relationship of a husband and wife. Husbands, if you're reading that, you're going, that's why I need to know my Bible. Because that's what God uses in the life of my wife. To prune her and cleanse her. But you should also see that this Paul, you don't know whether he's talking about Christ and the church or a husband and wife. You realize he's talking about both. The way Christ cleanses the church is with his word. Don't turn there, but just listen to this. Psalm 119, it's a passage that I read to you. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. The psalmist says, I seek you. And where does he go to seek him? He seeks him in the word. He seeks him in the commandments. He seeks him in his statutes. He seeks him in the rules of his mouth. He seeks him in his testimonies and his precepts. This isn't just some sort of accessory for the life of the Christian. It is the foyer to fellowship with the living God. That's why we engage it week by week by week relentlessly. Because it's all we got. We got no outies. It's all we've got. This is the goods. And it's hard work striving to enter his rest. I literally, literally ache for those not engaging God's word through the teaching and preaching of it. I literally ache over that. I know the other elders do too. And guess what? When we ache, our wives ache. And guess who else aches? Small group shepherds. And I bet their wives ache too. I ache for those not engaging God's word through the teaching and preaching of it. I ache for those who think I've got my Bible and I know where the books are. I ache for those who think about the word as a tool rather than literal fuel. Those go to the word just when they need something. That's not a worshiper, friends. That's a consumer. Those go to the word just when they need to pick me up, just when they need some guidance on a specific issue, just when they need to defend themselves on something. But you've got to know that the word is so much more than that. The abider who goes to the word, submits to the pruning work of the word, goes as fuel. This is my very food. This is my nourishment. This one comes consistently and hungrily for a cutting, but then a treatment. This one comes for a wrecking, but then a sweet rebuilding. This one comes for a pruning and a cleansing. This one is a worshiper, 
as defined by John chapter 15. This one is an abider, and this one will bear fruit. And that fruit will bring glory to God. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for myself and for the other elders in this body. I want to pray for the small group shepherds. And I want to pray for those who shepherd a home. Whether it's a father, husband, or a single mother. Or whether it's a single. Lord, I pray that we are fueled by your word. Lord, I pray that you will use John chapter 15 to show us that we need to submit to the knife the sharp double-edged sword of the word because it's your sweet work of pruning us and that it may be affliction that escorts us there but we've got to land there. Lord, I pray that you will guard us, guard this pulpit from ever becoming a place of entertainment, a place of stroking. Lord, I pray that it has been and will always be a place of truth. And Lord, that you'll do your sweet work of pruning in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'll bind our wandering hearts to you. That your grace will be like a fetter that ties us to these difficult truths that we work through week by week. And I'm thankful that in your time that the Spirit rebuilds. We're not left undone. We're not left wrecked. We're not left disassembled. But we're rebuilt into an image of Christ. Lord, I pray for those brothers and sisters families in this body that I'm aching for where the word is sort of an add-on and an option and a nice to do if there's time or a source to go to if there's a problem Lord I pray for affliction in the life of those folks I pray for cutting of pain and suffering and trial to take them like the psalmist to know your statutes and to enjoy your word and your ways. Lord, I pray for that in my life as well. Guard our wandering hearts from wandering away from this foyer to fellowship with you. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 10 says, a lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. Wait till everybody finishes moving around. We're going to have the Lord's Supper now. And this has to do with that. A lay, lay person shall not eat of a holy thing. No foreign guest of the priest or hired servant shall eat of a holy thing. But if a priest buys a slave as his property for money, the slave may eat of it, and anyone born in his house may eat of his food. This is one little snapshot of a developing story in Leviticus where there's sort of graded holiness. Certain people can eat certain things. There's even graded geography or geographical holiness where the holy of holies is the most holy place. And then there's the holy place that's outside of that. And then there's the courtyard outside of that and the tabernacle. 
And in the temple, you have some additional places. You have the, the court of women and the court of Gentiles. And then outside of that, you have decreasing holiness as you move further and further away from the tabernacle or the temple. There's geographical holiness, but there's also graded holiness in people. The high priest is the most holy dude. And then there's the priest, and then there's the worshiper or the layperson. And then there's the hired servant. And then least and worst is the Gentile. And then also along that graded holiness, there's different types of meals. The high priest can eat some choice things that the average priest can't. And the average priest eats some things that the worshiper can't eat. And the worshiper eats some things that the Gentile can't even think about eating. Graded holiness is a distinct picture in our Bibles in the Old Testament. But what you have to know is through the work of the cross that all of that's leveled. When that veil was split in the Holy of Holies, you need to know that through Christ that he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall between these graded levels of holiness. He broke down the divided wall about who could eat what. He ripped the veil that separated priests from people. And in the work of the cross, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That's something we're going to celebrate today as we eat together of a holy thing together as one people leveled and made holy by the finished work of our Lord. Let's dine. Lord, we are so thankful for a broken body. Pray that as we take this supper week by week that we are reminded that that's what our salvation cost. Especially this, this time of year as we're celebrating a vacant tomb and a risen Lord. I pray that we not forget a broken Lord. Lord, I pray that we'll be reminded of the consequences of our sin, the corrosiveness of our sin, and the holiness of our God, and the consequences for sin that were paid for by Christ. Thank you for the sweet privilege of taking of this broken body. Lord, we are so thankful for your blood poured out through your Son. Lord, we're thankful that the tomb is empty and that you are really seated and really finished. We're thankful that when we strive, when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, when we press on to lay hold of that which is already laid hold of us, that it's already laid hold of us. We're thankful that we're striving and working within an already finished work. We're thankful that our salvation is completely and absolutely dependent on the finished work of Christ. Lord, I pray that you will see us hard at work in response, never trying to earn it, never trying to gain it, never even trying to maintain it, but just because it's an appropriate response to what's been done for us. Lord, we enjoy you together this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship in song. I know Easter is a time in a lot of ways for family to visit, but in some ways also it may be a time where somebody says, man, I need to be part of a church and I want to see if I can find a church home. And if you're here with us this morning 
and this is your first occasion to worship with us, I want to say welcome. I know, you know, sometimes I look at how we operate with visitors, um, and I, I think we could do a better job kind of making you feel comfortable. It's hard because it's sort of like family sitting around the table, and sometimes visitors may be surrounded by other visitors. But we want to do a better job of letting you know that we are glad you're here. This morning, if you're here as on Easter morning, is maybe your first time and you're trying to find a church home, I would encourage you to walk with us for a couple months. Um, get to know us, get to know our hearts, get to know other people. Not just a, a single Sunday morning. Um, that's kind of a snapshot, but you get to know people over time. But I do encourage you to get to know us. And, you know, if, if you came this morning like, man, that's my first and my last, that's okay. <laughs> you might still be going to heaven. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, but I do encourage you to, um, to spend some time with us and get to know our hearts. And also, if you're here and you don't know, if you're not in a relationship with Christ and you're hearing a, like a message like this and you're going, man, I know this is true, but I don't really know this, Jesus. I'll tell you what, we've been over backwards to talk with you. Um, the elders are available. That's me. The guys that passed out the Lord's Supper were available to talk with you. The small group shepherds that lead our small group studies would be available to talk to you. And I'll tell you who else will be available to talk with you. It may be the person that invited you or the person that you're sitting next to. That we all have the goods. It's not like some super secret that is unlocked only by the pastor. But I encourage you to make the point to, um, if you're searching for that, we'd love to, to show you what that means. I encourage you not to try and find that on your own. Uh, you need each other to kind of expose that. So that'd be a privilege for us.